Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, everybody. Scott Luton and one of our very special uh, dear friends and guests, uh, Kathy Morrow-Robertson with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's show. Kathy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? We're doing wonderful. Uh, we were just talking pre-show. Um, I, I, I need to compile the rankings in terms of our repeat guest appearances, but I think you're like top five all time. Uh, and that comes with maybe a championship belt and a and a bottle of cheer wine, maybe. I don't know. Awesome. What you think? Yes. <laughs> You'll take it. Is that right? I'll take it. Um, all right. We're going to have a lot of fun today. It's great to have Kathy back with us. Uh, as I mentioned, one of our favorite guests here at Supply Chain Now, one of our most regular repeat guests. Um, today, though, we're going to be diving into some of Kathy's great analyst work, right? Especially the market intel that she gathers from earnings calls and then some. So this is going to be a lot of fun. And as I've said, I think on every one of uh, your appearances, Kathy, if folks, I mean, if they aren't following you in general, but especially on Twitter, where you drop all these nuggets of market information and analysis and intel, I mean, they are really missing out. I know I've really come to uh, value and enjoy uh, your perspective there, huh? Ah, thank you so much. You know, formerly I was a, a librarian for many years, so I look at social media as being my library. And you like much, but hey, you can turn me off if need be. (laughs) (laughs) But you like to make you like to make social media social, as you shared here a couple times, as it should be. Uh, And we've talked about uh, some of the uh, relation, the real relationships that started initially digital, and uh, you know that that's been one of the several linings over the last three years, probably. Um, Okay. So, Kathy, I want to start with, you know, for some of the folks that may have missed, you know, some of your appearances here, some of your other great work that you do, uh, for the three people out there, maybe, let's make sure they have an opportunity to get to know you a little better. So, tell us where you grew up and some anecdotes about your upbringing a little bit, Kathy. Oh, dear. Okay, so I grew grew up in Rock Hill, South Carolina, Um, graduated high school there. Uh, went to my undergraduate, got my undergraduate degree there at Winthrop. Okay. It was Winthrop College at the time. Now it's Winthrop University. And that's home of Winthrop is the, uh, uh, a lot of folks may know them. They've made appearances in the NCAA basketball tournaments. That What's their mascot, Kathy? The Eagles. The, yes. Okay. Yeah. I know. So Wofford's the Terriers. Winthrop is the Eagles. I always get them uh, vice versa. Okay. So you went to Winthrop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then and, what? And then uh, it kind of dawned on me I couldn't exactly find a job with a degree in history, so I uh, I was working at a library at the time, driving the bookmobile. And so the kind people at the library said, "Why don't you get your get a master's in library science? Because you can always get a job in the library." Mm. So was that true? Uh, well, it was at that time. It's no longer <laughs> the case. Really? <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. So many um, uh, public libraries in particular are funded by uh, local, state, and federal mm. um, um, money. So it's usually if you got to cut a budget, it's usually the library's budget that gets cut. So really, um, yeah. So we went through a lot of ups and downs uh, as I while I was a librarian. But yeah, I got my master's from the University of South Carolina. Okay. And, yeah, proudly wearing my Clemson <laughs> T-shirt there. Yeah. Uh, and today I st- I support both uh, teams. Um, but yeah. So you let's- know, after several years as a librarian, yeah. I made the jump into the corporate world. So I want to talk about that in just a second, but before we okay. get there, um, growing up in Rock Hill, you know, we, 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 you and I both grew up in South Carolina, right? Now I grew up in Aiken, which is uh, on the southern border, right, of 
of Georgia and, uh, uh, along the Savannah River. And Rock Hill is, more, is I think, on the, the northern border. Is that right, Kathy? Just south of Charlotte, North Just, Carolina. Okay, so we're kind of opposite sides of the state. Uh, I know some of my food favorites that I grew up with. You know, we love talking food around here. What When you think of growing up in Rock Hill, what's a, a food dish or a restaurant or something that was inseparable from your upbringing? Okay, in Rock Hill, there was a place, Watkins. Okay. It's been around, okay. I don't know how long it's been around, forever. I mean, well before I was born, and that's been a long time. <laughs> but they made the best hot dogs, chili slaw dogs. Oh, my God, oh, they were gorgeous. And my parents grew up in Spartanburg. So, you know, at least once a month, we'd go to Spartanburg to visit my grandparents, and we always had lunch at the Beacon. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Man, like you're making I'm me sorry. hungry, Kathy. Dad gum, I shouldn't ask this question. Uh, you, plus, you had me at the at the uh, uh, chili slaw dog. I, you know, I, I can eat. I can. Um, I've had to watch myself, right? Because hot chili slaw dogs or slaw dogs in general are addictive. So I've got mm-hmm. uh, you know, good things in moderation. But man, I think we're the we're probably one of the few states. I, slaw dogs are kind of a South Carolina thing, aren't they, Kathy? Well, now there is a place here in the Atlanta, well, over in Marietta. Yeah. Uh, a shout out to them. Brandy's Hot Okay. Dog. They do a, they do a mean chili slaw dog. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh my God. It's just a hole in the wall. Friendliest <laughs> Those place. Are the you best places. Add. Yeah. I see chili. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's almost as good as Watkins. <laughs> All right. So uh, Watkins and Brandy's, some of these great places. Um, to eat uh, uh, present and past. Um, all right, so let's get back. So uh, the library world was important for you um, uh, right out of college. And then I, I uh, interrupted you a second ago as you're you know, about to you know, talk about your breakthrough into the corporate world. So on that note, tell us, um, you know, what's a couple of roles that you held uh, in corporate America or, or in supply chain, you name it, that really shaped your, your path forward? I think working at UPS really, really um, shaped a lot of it. In fact, I mean, that's where I'd learned about supply chains. I had never heard of supply chains until I started working at UPS. Right. And I joined them simply because I had friends already working there. And um, they had uh, reached out to me. They were like, we're getting ready to start a new products development team that's not focused on packages and we need help with research and we know you enjoy doing research. (laughs) So that's how I came to join UPS. And, um, and it was a blast. I mean, I learned so much, you know, about supply chains through the almost 11 years I was with them. Really? Yeah. 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 What Uh, a great marriage between your, your research side and your, your, um, you know, that that library world side with global supply chain where there's no shortage of uh, probably research to be done. I mean, this is like a marriage made in heaven, it sounds like, Kathy, to me. I I certainly thought it was. I am. Um, I mean, I was involved in helping out the M&A team with, with several acquisitions, you know, doing their initial research for them. Uh, anytime that we moved into a particular market or geography, I did that legwork. So, yeah, it was fun. Um, also, out of our group came UPS Supply Chain Solutions, and that was the team that I stayed with um, my entire time, primarily in freight forwarding. Okay. Uh, and I think we, we've got some uh, colleagues in common I want to say we've talked about Lloyd Knight before. We're big, big Lloyd Knight fans, right? Lloyd was a man was my last manager at UPS, so he was in charge of uh, the government sector. Okay, and uh, so yeah, yeah. So we helped within his group. We helped manage uh, transportation for uh, the uh, AFES group, uh, okay. the former PX group. Oh, yeah, yeah. AFES, uh, so any of our veterans listening, uh, at least AFES was around. Uh, Has it changed? When I was in Air Force, AFES ran the 
the BXs, I think what we call them on Air Force bases, you know, the base exchange, they were, they yeah. ran the convenience stores and, or, or the class six stores, I think is, is what we called it. Um, are they, is AFI still uh, doing what they do? Yeah, they're still doing uh, what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, back, we used to stop off at these places because my grandfather was in the military and you know, he retired. So we would always stop off at the military base close to Myrtle Beach, I believe. Okay. I and we'd always do our shopping there. But they weren't called AFIs at the time. I think it was just the old PX or yeah, PX. Yeah. 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 Um, and so I got out in 02. So it's been a long time since I've even thought about that, Kathy. Thank you for bringing that memory. AFIs. I remember the logo still. Um, and I think that was Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. I think that closed down right after, I think right after like Desert Storm in the mid-90s, okay. if I'm not mistaken. Um, but that's a that's a blast from the past too. Um, all right. So, and and by the way, I uh, appreciate the, the good work you've done with us and in general for our veteran uh, community. So really appreciate that, Kathy. All right. So let's let's shift gears over to our center plate. It's our uh, chili slaw dog of the conversation day. It's these investment <laughs> <The slaw> dog. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh gosh, uh, the the uh, these investor and earnings calls that you tune into regularly, right? I really, as I mentioned on the front end, really appreciate all that you share from this wealth of information. Um, now, before we get into a couple that you know, the UPS call, the FedEx call, and some others. Um, how long have you been doing this, and and why should more folks tune into these calls? Okay, I have been doing these since my UPS days. So, well, quite some uh, time. Yeah, so uh, I did a lot of competitive analysis back in the day. So I would sit in on um, FedEx's earnings calls, DHL, you name it, you know, any major uh, logistics provider. I would listen to their calls on behalf of, you know, just to gather intelligence for UPS. But really the fun was sitting in on UPS's calls because there'd be a whole group of us in a room um, listening into the calls and we would cringe like, oh my gosh, no, don't say that. Don't answer that question. Don't answer, you know, we'd be yelling, you know. But, you know, there was a lot of work that went ahead, went before these calls that we would work on, you know, the market updates, the revenue. We did a lot of that, you know, in my group. So, yeah, it, it was hilarious. You know, some of them didn't have much of an, a personality on the calls. And, you know, we would just be screaming, you know, in the rooms. But, <laughs> yeah, it got to be, it was rather fun. So, so <laughs> but, you've been... I mean, I've been listening to the UPS calls ever since then, as well as the FedEx ones. Those have been the two primary ones. I mean, that's what going on 20 years, wow. if not a little longer, uh, of listening to their calls. So it's been an interesting journey to see how they've both companies have evolved. Oh gosh, it, it, you're you're uh, you're absolutely right. It is amazing to see how uh, the uh, the ups and the downs and you know, the evolution of, of both those organizations. And occasionally, if I um, if I recall correctly from what I see, you'll jump on, sometimes you'll jump on a retail earnings call or, or this earnings call, and, and you just, you're piecing together kind of uh, the global market and, and what companies are doing, huh? Right. I'm, I am reading more retail and manufacturers. Um, I'm either listening to them or I'm reading their trans or the transcripts because it's really interesting to see, to read, to hear from their point of view, you know, what their pain points are, mm. you know, what they're experiencing, what their outlook is for the next quarter, next year, and what have you. And I think you can pull out a lot of valuable tidbits and a lot of good learnings from from these calls. Now, you also have to keep in mind, you know, understand how they're wording things as well, you know, because they want to, they want to please Wall Street. So they don't want to sit there and go, oh my God, we sucked, you know, this quarter. <laughs> no, they'll say it in a very nice manner. And maybe I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. No, I think, but, I think uh, really quick, I think that's really important message to our listeners, 
right? Because it's not always what folks are saying. And, and we're not picking on anyone in particular. It, it's the C-suite, that, that the responsibilities, to, to your point, kind of maybe not walk a tightrope, but to please, you know, put the right message out there, right? A positive message out there. And sometimes it's not what they say, but it's really what they mean or maybe even what they're not saying sometimes. Would you say, Kathy? Exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So you almost have to be able to read between the lines, the invisible lines, and just understand the companies. Mm. As you know, if you're just listening to a company for the first time, you know, you'll get some valuable information. But if you've listened to them for a number of years or a year, what you'll start seeing a pattern. Yep. Um, okay, so folks. That's a great opportunity to learn and to connect the dots, whether you're just, you know, whether you're a student, right? Maybe you're going through a supply chain program right now. That's a big wealth of information. Or if you're, you know, a senior executive listening to us right now, and maybe you haven't ever stopped and taken the time to see, to, to Kathy's point, what your competitors do, are doing, what other business leaders are doing about the challenges of our of our day. You know, whether you're, you're listening to the calls, Kathy said, or you get, the, I guess the transcripts are free. You can get those and and sometimes that's up easier to, to navigate. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Up to a certain point, you can listen. You know, there's various websites that you can um, read a certain number for free before they start telling you you got to subscribe. Okay. So Seeking okay. Alpha, there's a Motley Fool um, board that I'll I'll tap into at times. So it depends. I mean, I do have a, a subscription to Seeking Alpha just because I'm constantly reading these transcripts. But not only reading the transcripts is important, but also yeah. reading the actual SEC filings, because there's usually a lot more in those 10 Qs and those annual um, um, filings. Not necessarily the pretty annual reports, you know, right. the very glossy look, but the actual 10K filings with the SEC. That's where you can find a lot of industry. Um, information. So if you're looking, if you're having to do research on a particular industry, definitely recommend reading a 10K filing because okay. they'll give you that as well as competitors and just the market and overview, how they've been performing and such. Okay, man, I'm glad there's smart folks out there that really do meaningful research, including tax forms. Uh, that's kind of, that, that's a lot different than the comic books. I mean, that's some, that's some heavy duty stuff. So, uh, and it sounds like that's, um, it's one of the channels where you get, you know, the market Intel that you've become so well known for sharing. Um, so let's, let's dive into some of that. Um, two of your favorite companies that you've established to, to, to check out these earnings calls are UPS and FedEx. And I believe UPS held their most recent, uh, earning call yesterday, at least when we're recording this, this podcast and FedEx's was, was in September. If I had that right, Correct. right. So Correct. let's talk about you. Uh, which one do you want to talk about first? Let's start with the good first. <laughs> okay. Let's start with UPS. So what did you, what are some of the most important things that you picked up uh, on the recent earnings call then? I think, first of all, the, uh, Ms. Tomei, the CEO, um, in her opening remarks, she said that the third quarter, which that was the earnings that they announced yesterday, had the highest consolidated operating margin for third quarter in 15 years. For them to have such a high margin like that was, was a welcome surprise, I mm. think, to the market. Uh, many, they're holding their own. They're, they're managing their cost. They're managing their capacity. They're doing this in a time that um, we're seeing a normalization occur across all industries. And this normalization, as I've, has a, I've described it in a various articles that I've written, it's a bumpy road. So, and it's going to hurt you know, it'll be hurtful. You see spot rates falling as compared to last year, contract rates may be declining and such as that, but they are doing a, they did a fantastic job in my opinion um, over this past third quarter. And it's the third quarter that ended on September 30th. So they've now 
you know, and, and I said they did a fantastic job. That's <laughs> the way they did it was, you know, they raised surcharges. Right. Uh, they are able to pick and choose, really, their customers, and they want more profitable customers, of course. Well, And that I mean, seems, really quick, Kathy, that, that seems to be when, when Carol Tomei um, assumed um, the, the lead of the, for the company, right, as CEO, that seems like to be one of her priorities from the get-go, right? Uh, um, uh, serving more sm- uh, smart business and really protecting those margins, right? It seems to be uh, what she got starting with, right? Carol Tomei, who is the CEO of UPS, she was prior to that CFO of Home Depot. And um, she also sat on UPS's board uh, for a number of years. So she she understood UPS's ways and such, but she also brought to, to UPS that outsider's view, you know, from a financial perspective, which I think was so much needed for the company because you know, it's always been so internally focused, which is nothing wrong with that, but the world has changed greatly right, in it? the past 20 years. And they really needed that outside perspective. And she brought it. She um, um, had, you know, she had, you know, each service offering reevaluated and, and such as that. And um, she, she cut the fat out in a mm. lot of places that needed to be cut out. Some of that fat may have been a little too much, but you know, <laughs> who am I to say? I'm not a CEO. But the, uh, <laughs> but the third quarter results from all of those tough decisions seems like you know a lot of those good were good moves, huh? That decision to cut as well as to invest mm. the correct yep. way. She conv- they've invested a lot in technology, automation of facilities. It's just absolutely astounding. Um, so they're making their operations more and more efficient thanks to this technology, cutting out unnecessary um, uh, line halls and such, mm-hmm. uh, optimizing routes. All of this is saving them money. But at the same time, it's, you know, the shipping cost. Mm-hmm. Man, they hurt shippers. But, yeah, after so, two and a half years, yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, so anything before we switch over to, uh, FedEx and what you picked up on their recent calls, anything, any last comments around what you heard, uh, yesterday on the UPS call? Um, the holiday season. So they're more or less expecting a return to a normal, normal type of holiday season, you know, pre pandemic. So the peak volumes won't hit until later in the season, it's because we're all returning to the stores we're in, and such. Um, but at the same time, they're expecting volumes, fourth quarter volumes to be down year over year. Yeah. Not surprising. Not right. surprising. So. All right. So, so UPS, strong third quarter, right? A lot of, lot of wins there. As I'm looking at a recent Wall Street Journal, it sounds like uh, Domino's Pizza and IKEA Furniture, IKEA in particular, had a record revenue uh, quarter, if I'm not mistaken. So it sounds like those are a lot of the winners right now. And by the way, speaking of uh, a complete aside, Domino's has reinvented a lot of their products. Now, I like I like the mom and pop pizza joints, and we have a lot of those out there where I live. But occasionally, you know, you'll have to get something delivered, and, and I'll tell you, Domino's pizza has come a long way, especially now they're deep dish. Uh, Kathy, how, how, do we, how do we always, everything goes back to food, right? Hot dogs, pizza, <laughs> cheer wine, you name it. But hey, that's from my earnings call um, uh, analysis. Okay, so but let's. You know what's interesting? Now, before we switch over to yeah, FedEx, yeah. if I may, we're beginning, retailers are beginning to announce their third quarter earnings. And this week, there's quite a few that's on the schedule. Uh, Skechers. I don't know if, do you wear Skechers? Um, I don't, but uh, maybe I should. I, I don't wear them either. Uh, they don't fit properly. So maybe, you know, Skechers, <laughs> if you're listening, please, you know, help me here. Uh, <laughs> but they, they announced a really nice uh, quarter 
uh, yesterday. However, you know, despite that uh, revenue, uh, good revenue, yeah. uh, overall revenue, they're struggling with inventory. That's going to be the story with a lot of retailers is, you know, there's a lot of inventory and it's not because they all decided to go out and just order massive, massive amounts of inventory. There's a lot of reasons uh, for this inventory uh, Bonanza. Hangover. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, we had, um, and, you know, it starts further up in the supply chain. When you have manufacturing in China, most of the manufacturing is in China yep. or in other Asian countries. But when they shut down because of COVID and a COVID outbreak, that has that ripple effect down to our front door. And so that off again, on again, again, shutdowns of manufacturing plus capacity on the ocean freight lanes plus uh, capacity constraints in the trucking and rail, intermodal, just resulted in not only delays in getting your inventory, retailers' inventories, but also all of a sudden you're getting all this inventory all of, you know, in bunches. So, right. yeah, you're, you're getting Christmas stuff in March. You're getting Halloween stuff in January. But it's all coming in big, massive bunches, which is causing shortages in warehouse space and such. So that whole buildup is also playing into this inventory hangover. Mm. Also inflation mm. costs. So when you see, oh, my gosh, yeah. Inventories were up $45 billion year over year. Well, a good bit of that is also inflation, higher mm -hmm. cost to manufacture that, that inventory, higher cost to ship that inventory, and so on. So there's a lot more to that inventory. Yeah, it's not just placing big orders, uh, uh, you know, um, because of the uncertainty. It's a, a wide variety of factors as you're laying out. In fact, uh, speaking of inflation, I know Halloween's right around the corner uh, from when we'll be publishing this this conversation. And in general, I think I saw earlier this week, candy is about 12, 13% across the board more than last year. But uh, Skittles and Starburst in particular, uh, one was up over 40% from last year and one was up over 30% last year. So if you like Skittles and Starburst, Starburst prepare to pay more uh, this year. Um, all right. Well, there was a shortage of Halloween candy last year. Right, right. You remember uh, that. And there's been some warnings this year from um, what what candy company was that uh, that talked about um, how uh, it wasn't Nestle. It was um, I think it was Hershey. Hershey's CEO came out and and um, talked about maybe the lack of capacity they have because they've been dedicating so much to you know year long demand. Uh, now, who knows? Going back to C-suite language and and positioning, who knows? I'll, I'll leave that to the smart analysts like yourself. But you know, um, Kathy, I'm never, you know, whether it's Twix or Snickers or or even the less popular stuff, we'll, we'll get our candy fix some way, some way, shape, or form. Um, okay. <laughs> yes, I'll take it for my kids, uh, Kathy. Don't tell them that. Just between you and me. Um, all right. So we've talked about um, a lot of stuff so far. You know, certainly the UPS, uh, their big third quarter, got some of your other industry observations uh, across retail. Uh, we talked about that the inventory bonanza and some of the reasons why and why it's not just real simple. Uh, there's a lot of complex, a lot of moving pieces, as, mo as probably all of our listeners know, across global supply chain. So now let's talk about FedEx, because it's really a tale of two cities if I'm uh, if I'm um, tracking with you here. So tell us about the FedEx call. I think it was in September. Yeah. So <laughs> trying to think of a nice way of wording uh, how, how to frame the FedEx story. So FedEx reported in September and it was for their fiscal first quarter. Okay. Uh, which was June to August. And it was not a pretty picture. Not at all. And um, the blame was placed on the global economic conditions, uh, you know, stating that 
we were heading down the path towards recession, the whole uh, Russia-Ukraine issue, higher cost, inflation, everything was blamed on their um, quarter, which they missed totally. I mean, profit, I, I don't have the exact numbers, but the numbers were not good. Mm. Let's just put it that, that way. Uh, the only shining light was FedEx Express. Not FedEx Express, excuse me, that one was not a good one. Uh, <laughs> FedEx Freight. FedEx Freight was the shining light. They came out uh, profitable. They grew. Um, it was through revenue management, which is, you know, let's charge more. But, I mean, it was fuel surcharges, higher fuel prices that they had to um, had to uh, uh, give pass on to their customers and such. Uh, FedEx Express and FedEx Ground, both, which have been such leading divisions within FedEx, just did not have a good quarter whatsoever. And really, I think it boils down, and this is me, uh, and just looking at their numbers and listening to their calls for years and years, to me, it was more, the reason really was internal, not necessarily external. Yes, external probably did play a role, but internally, They've got a lot of work that needs to be done because each division, FedEx Express, FedEx Ground, FedEx Freight, has historically operated as separately. They did not speak to each other. They had their own networks. Hmm. So, you know, if you threw a FedEx Ground package into FedEx Express's network, it would spit it back out going, yeah, no. <laughs> uh, but they've been... <laughs> They've been trying to integrate um, these networks. There's got to be some economies of scale there, Kathy, that maybe they've missed out on. I mean, it took them too long to really realize they needed to be doing this. Maybe they've known all along that they've needed to do this. But they started doing it right before the pandemic hit. And then, you know, the world turned upside down uh, after that. But they still kept pursuing this and they're still working on it, but it's difficult mm. and it's going to take time. And I'm not sure they can succeed really just knowing how rigid these divisions, these networks have been. Um, they have shared some of their progress in their success stories. UPS, I mean, UPS, FedEx freight, jumping in, carrying some of the ground stuff, mm -hmm. Express jumping in, carrying some of the ground stuff. But the problem is FedEx Express, FedEx Freight, those are FedEx employees. Mm. FedEx Ground, those are contractors. Not in the sense of an Instacart or DoorDash. What it is is FedEx Ground is, you know, companies buy the routes. Right. And then... They manage those routes. They hire the workers and such. And they have to maintain, they sign a contract with FedEx with, you know, the list of to-dos and not to-dos. Yep. Different culture, different operational landscape. Exactly. Um, and it's yeah. a lower cost network versus the express and the freight divisions. Mm. So that's where you see a lot of those, the cost, the impact, you know, the profitable profitability being hit and such. Right. So. Well, so part of the good news you're sharing from what's going on at FedEx is it sounds like they're starting to see some of the, they might be small fruits, but fruits of their labor in terms of getting these, these silos talking with each other and maybe collaborating with each other. Um, and you expect to see, um, you know, if you had to break out your crystal ball, I know mine's been broken for forever, but, do you see the path forward for FedEx based on what they're trying to do from a leadership and an integration and a kind of an ecosystem standpoint? Do you see a, you know, a light at the end of the tunnel or at least a, a some some sort of light at the end of the tunnel? Well, okay. So that light is pretty dim at mm. the moment. Mm. I mean, they really have a lot of work that needs to be done. But there's so many people rooting for them. I think they can pull it off. I really think they can. Uh, but it's going to take a while, and I don't know. They need to speed it up, but I mean, it's 
it's going to cost a lot of money. There's a lot of articles, a lot of commentators out there that's calling for them to be sold. Yes. Yes. No, that's not going to happen. You don't think it's going to happen? No, that's not going to happen. I mean, Mr. (laughs) Smith, the founder of FedEx, will not let that happen. Mm. I'm of of the belief the company will go private before they would allow themselves to be sold. Okay. That's me again. Um, and it's just, they're needed. They really are needed. Uh, it's a, it's a good company. It's just, they have a lot of work they need to, to get yep. done that needs to get done. So. Well, I like how you're pulling for them. You're, 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 you're not uh, watering down kind of the current state, right. With what they're battling. Uh, there's, as you mentioned, there's lots of work to be done. But, uh, you know, we, we both know probably lots of good people that are part of the FedEx team and, and UPS team for sure. And, and uh, we, hope, we hope they get it going and they're making, they make progress in uh, the throes of what they're, they're going through. Uh, and exactly. by the way, I like your crystal. That, that's quite a crystal ball uh, projection there that uh, rather than be acquired, they'll go private before, you know, that might would happen. That's an uh, that's interesting thought. Um, okay. Anything else? I want to shift gears over as we start to kind of come down the uh, the home stretch here. I want to ask about one of your uh, favorite things in life. But before we go there, any last thoughts about FedEx? Oh, goodness, no. But we'll, you know, their next quarter um, announcement will be in December. Okay. For the, no- for the November period. So I'm really looking forward to that, to see what kind of progress they've made. Um, I do know that uh, they had told uh, Brie Carrere, who is one of their um, executive uh, senior vice presidents, uh, was on CNBC earlier this week or last last week and assured the public that they are ready for the holiday season. They did not give any projections like UPS has, but they have assured the market that they are ready and they are more than capable of handling you know, the holiday season. Instead of hiring seasonal workers like, you know, UPS, the post office, Amazon, and so on, uh, they, uh, Ms. Carrera said that they're leaning into their existing workforce, their existing network, and they're going to flex it. And as the need, they will shift where needed. So, okay. Interesting. That's right. (laughs) Okay. All right. So uh, from FedEx, uh, you mentioned Amazon a second ago. Uh, I saw you uh, reporting the news that uh, some folks in the industry have been talking about. Amazon is adding 10 Airbus 330-300s, if I said that right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think uh, the Hawaiian airline um, company is going to be operating them for Amazon. They're kind of, it sounds like they're kind of upgrading their fleet and, and letting some of the older models maybe go into retirement. But your thoughts on that news? Well, okay, so <laughs> um, Amazon's, uh, okay, so Hawaii Air is a new partner for Amazon. So they've added another partner. They've got quite a few now, um, you know, Atlas, ATSG, UPS, um, Mesa. I, I can't name them all, but it's a long list. And now Hawaii Air is joining this group. And yeah, you're correct. Uh, they will be managing these 10 airplanes, uh, management, flying them uh, within the domestic U.S., also between Hawaii, you know, between Hawaii and, and the U.S. as well. Right. Uh, I think, now this is me with, with the little wonky crystal ball. <laughs> I think this is also going to be a play along the Trans-Pacific Lane. So, you know, Amazon does they import a lot of items from Asia mm-hmm. and I think they'll eventually take advantage of these airplanes um, to, uh, to move this, these imports into the U S themselves versus relying on um, other partners that may be doing that on their behalf. Um, and you're also right. They are retiring some of the older planes that are up for uh, renewal They've, they've leased these through other partners. And instead of signing those contracts, they're taking on new, 
bigger airplanes from Airbus. And I believe these are the first Airbuses um, that they're going to be, that's being put into their network. Because I think the rest have always been Boeing. I'm not sure. I could be wrong there. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to watch. But, you know, it's good to see Amazon bullish on the air, air cargo market. UPS was also bullish on the air cargo market back in August. They um, ordered four new airplanes, and these are more fuel-efficient airplanes. So they will be replacing probably some of the older models within mm. uh, UPS's fleet. So it's, it's good to see this in the air market uh, because the air cargo market has not it's, – it's just kind of um, – iffy um it's kind of iffy at the moment right uh, yeah the boeing nice. yeah to put it nicely the boeing airbus uh story we'll, we'll have to have you back and we'll, we'll dive into that it's interesting especially what Bo boeing has been through in recent years uh so i guess it's a good win for airbus those titan aircraft i wonder what the size of that deal was um but yeah. a, a good sale for airbus to, to amazon um okay before we, we're going to talk about Freight Forward here in a second, uh, one of your newest uh, projects and publications that's really resonated with the marketplace. Um, but before we leave Air Cargo, why is Air Cargo? Now, you're, you're a big airplane enthusiast, I'll, I'll say, Air Cargo enthusiast. It seems to be one of your favorite things to report on and analyze and talk about. Why is that? Well, <laughs> despite the, the port, the ocean freight port picture, I do have an airplane hanging above that. Uh, it's a C-130 that was made um, out of a beer can, which is absolutely fascinating to me. It was made by a, a, um, a gentleman from who retired from Boeing. Uh, but the C-130 has a special place in my heart because my husband works for Lockheed and he is on that C-130 line. So yeah, guess what our conversations are like, you know, at the <laughs> dinner table. But no, I've always I've always loved airplanes. Uh, my my uncles, uh, my great uncles, uh, were uh, in in the Air Force. Um, they flew airplanes during World War II. Um, my grandfather was in the Air Force as well. So I grew up with airplanes, and also you know just to bring it back you know towards air cargo. I was in the air freight forwarding group at UPS for, ah, for a number of years. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That so, makes sense. Um, that's where a lot of this still comes from. And, you know, and today I write um, a column for Air Cargo World magazine and I focus on Express uh, primarily, also freight forwarders. And, um, and sometimes I, I throw them a loop by sending them uh, last mile stuff. <laughs> Because that last mile impacts impacts the rest of the supply chain as well. That's right. Well, hey, here's here's a little factoid. I bet you already know this. Uh, I discovered this uh, just a few weeks back. Um, so Delta, right, one one of the world's largest airlines. I I'm not sure why I always made this assumption, but I thought the whole Delta uh, brand name was meant to imply the Delta in service, the, the higher service they offer, and maybe some of the competition. I, I don't know where, maybe I read that somewhere, or maybe I just made that assumption. But where they got that name from is, uh, is in its origin story, right? A crop dusting company, I can't remember the name right off, but they were based really in the Mississippi Delta area. That was their primary territory. And so that's huh. where the Delta name came from. Uh, and it's, we're talking back in the, uh, um, 30s, 40s, 50s, long time ago, and that's where the Delta that we all know and love now, where that where its origins came from. So, how about that? I had no idea. Well, me and that you is both. Really cool. Huh. Um, so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> little factoid there. So let's move. Uh, speaking of uh, of more good information, facts, uh, industry takes, analysis, freight forward. Uh, is a new, uh, I call it new. I don't know how many, how many editions have you published of Freight Forward roughly? Well, 30, Oh, really? Okay. So it's, I, we can drop the new moniker. 30, 35 editions. It's a, it's a LinkedIn driven newsletter. Is that right? That's okay. correct. 
those are those are really easy to access. They're easy to subscribe to. It's easy, it's easy to. Um, one of the things I love about those LinkedIn newsletters is it's easy to comment and engage in conversations. You know, based on kind of the format and all. Whether you're you're engaging with the author or authors or other folks that are digesting the same information and and uh, talking about it. So tell us what um, what type of content drives Freight Forward and how you know where can folks sign up for it. Okay, so Freight Forward came out from um, a discussion that I was having with some folks at the Journal of Commerce. Uh, and they just kind of threw it out at me. Why don't you start this newsletter out on LinkedIn and see where it, where it goes? So what it is basically is I'll take uh, some of the articles that the Journal of Commerce writes uh, the previous week and try to tell the supply chain story, you know, link it all together, ocean, air, trucking, rail, intermodal, all the way down to parcel. And um, it's not only Journal of Commerce articles, I'll throw in some of the air cargo world and some of the other publications that, that I A little bit I of this, a little bit of that, a little, a little cinnamon. Yeah, just kind of throwing in a little <laughs> bit of stuff. And right. then I tell the supply chain story as a whole because so many times when one is reading um, articles, it's very siloed again. It's very ocean freight specific, but it doesn't really tell the story of how does that impact the trucking or yeah. intermodal. So this is kind of my attempt to, um, to link it all together. And I do this really on behalf of the Journal of Commerce. Um, I have always been a big fan of their articles. I've used them um, for a lot of the work that I've done for clients. And I've known them going back to my UPS days. Mm. And also at the end of uh, each um, freight forward, I'll add an economic outlook, you know, what's coming up in the, you know, that given week, you know, the PPI, the CPI, GDP, whatever, and a link to, to that. So because those have really huge impact on supply chains, but it's free. It's free. And people can just really go on. Um, not really sure how you find the newsletters. Do, do you have to look it up well, under my name or can you do a search? Probably both, but we'll, we'll make it easy. So uh, we will put a link maybe to the most recent one on the, on the episode page. So folks can click on that one click away. And then they can also from there, they can subscribe or connect with you. How's that sound, yeah. Kathy? Okay, cool. That sounds good. They come out every Monday morning. I try to get them out by six o'clock in the morning, but sometimes it's easier said than done. Just depends. Well, it, it's it's good content. And if you got to wait till seven, it's worth waiting for. So y'all check out Freight Forward. Uh, and again, you can connect. We'll have a link in the episode page, episode notes, but uh, you can connect also. Uh, search uh, Kathy Morrow Robertson on LinkedIn and find it that way. Or probably, I bet if, I bet if you drop Freight Forward, in the LinkedIn search bar. I'm not sure if they've added a newsletter search, specific search just yet. But uh, regardless, hey, we're going to have the link for you in the episode notes. All right. You also have a nice LinkedIn newsletter too. We So ours is new. Uh, we yeah. have been uh, experimenting a little bit. We, we, you know, Kathy, you, you, we, we've been collaborating for so long and putting out so much content. We really, you, you know, we were looking for something more unique. So we weren't just you know, uh, sharing our podcasts and live streams. I kind of wanted to, uh, it to be uh, um, about business, but a little bit of history, a little bit of our our points of view that some of our hosts have that that may be, you know, missed in all the shuffle. So yeah, we've been, uh, it's called With That Said, I think we're uh, 10 or 11 editions in and it's really been, it's been a, a fun project. So that's where the, um, that's where we came across that Delta uh, origin story and, and corrected our assumption there. So it's been really fun. It's a good newsletter. I subscribe to it. Uh, well, hey, man, that makes my day, man. Uh, when great, great writers and, and analysts and, and pros like you uh, appreciate content, I think that's uh, that's always very rewarding. So, um, so folks, check out Freight Forward, great LinkedIn newsletter. Check out With That Said, that's our supply chain now, uh, LinkedIn newsletter. How can folks connect with you, Kathy? I know uh, Journal of Commerce, great Great work you're doing there, Eric Johnson. Um, we're big fans of Eric and yours. Uh, of course, our friends at Reverse Logistics Association, Tony Sheroda, uh, great team over there. Um, and it, 
that's just the tip of the iceberg on, on some of the other stuff that, that you're um, cooking up and working on. How can folks connect with you though? Uh, honestly, the best way is through social media. So yeah, LinkedIn or my uh, Twitter feed, which is cmroberson06. You beat me to it. I was um, just I was just about to share, folks. If you're on, you know, Kathy, we've talked about this before. Um, Twitter is like black licorice. It's like um, it's like Crocs. It's like it's either you love it, you love them, you, you you're big fans, or you're not, right, folks? If you're on Twitter, you're right, and especially if you love all things supply chain and global business and, and what we've been talking about here today, make sure do yourself a favor, follow. Uh, Kathy, and that's at CM Robertson 06, right, Kathy? Yeah, I mean, you also get photographs of my hikes, pictures of my cat, <laughs> uh, progress of house uh, projects. So, yeah, you I love it. Of- it's life, it's life, and it's social <laughs> media. It's social media. It's important to share um, yeah. uh, how life. I also do a blog post on Substack as well. That link is on my Twitter profile. So excellent. All right. We're connecting the dots here uh, for our <laughs> listeners. But Kathy, always a big fan of what you do. Uh, appreciate our friendship and collaboration going back uh, years now. Uh, keep keep doing it. Uh, you're informing so many folks and filling in that blind spot that we all have as humans or supply chain practitioners or you name it. And it's a ton of fun. So Kathy, really appreciate you joining me here today. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate it. Well, we're going to do it again soon. I think we've got a couple more episodes teed up, monthly episodes, where we're really, really going to dive into uh, Kathy's observations and analysis uh, of, of companies and, and operations out there, what's going on. So stay tuned for that. Uh, this is the first one. Uh, and we're going to wrap the year on a high note with the November and December shows along those lines. So big thanks to Kathy Morrow Robertson for joining me today and having a great conversation. Hey, to all the folks that tuned in, uh, whether it's a video version or a podcast version, thank you. Let us know what you think. You know, reach out, start a social thread, hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you thought of uh, some of the points and conversations we've had here today. But most importantly, folks, Scott Luton on behalf of our entire supply chain our team challenging you to do good to give forward, and to be the change that's needed. And on that note, we'll see you next time right back here on Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.